If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. Um, if you have one of the study Bibles that uh, you may have um, received from church, um, we're on page, what is it, 1831. Um, that's where we'll be if you want to kind of hang in the physical copy. I'll have all the stuff up on the screen, but certainly you can follow along if you brought a copy with you, if you want to look at it on your phone. Um, yes, so if you weren't here last week, we started a new series um, for six weeks. Uh, that is talking about church. What is it called? Why Church? Um, our partnership in the gospel. So we wanted to take this season as a church, um, as Wyoming Harbor, but also all of Harbor churches, all of our campuses, to ask the question, why does church matter? What are we doing here? Um, and we're going to be exploring what it means to partner together with God to bring good news to the world. Um, certainly to receive that good news ourselves and to become who God has created us to be, but also to be on mission together to get that good news out to the rest of the world. So uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, set the stage for the the series um, where we'll be looking at four partnership commitments that we believe uh, as Harbor Churches uh, describe what our partnership is together. Um, Last week really explored the difference between partnership and membership. So, you know, church, um, a lot of churches have like a membership process and that's not all bad necessarily, but there is a difference between what we think is more of a like biblical approach, a faithful following of Jesus that is more like partnership than it is membership. Because membership is is um, is like a simple exchange, like uh, Netflix. I have a Netflix subscription. Um, I can opt in or out of it really easily for the most part, and Netflix doesn't actually really care if I uh, watch as long as I'm giving my money um, and they're earning profit. That's a membership, right? Um, church isn't, isn't really like that. Uh, partnership is different. It requires like your heart and your commitment um, that you become a part of the mission, the grand mission that God has for all of the universe. Um, it's more like a marriage between people who have decided to promise uh, to uh, fuse their lives together to work for the common good and to build beautiful things in this world. The church should feel more like that than, and less like something that you just come to and sit at and get what you need or feel pressured to give. It's more like encompassing of, of your whole life. Um, church is people committed to the way of Jesus. It's not a building or a membership card or even just a certain time of the week. Church is people, but not just people in general. It's people who have committed to something. And like I said, as a team, uh, Harbor Churches has prayerfully identified four commitments that we think define what our partnership together looks like. And uh, we have some of these cards at the connecting point. Um, and in the coming weeks, we'll put them in the aisleways for you. But there's four of them. And today, we're going to be just unpacking one. And... Uh, at the end of this process, we're going to have a moment where I'm inviting all of us uh, to, God is inviting all of us, I think, to commit to partner together for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news in our community, and for the sake of our own souls and flourishing in this life. So today we're talking about what we believe to be the starting point for our partnership, and it goes something like this. I'll put it up on the screen for you, um, and I bolded it to make it make a little bit more sense even. Um, so commitment number one, it's, it's on the card that you have there. This is something that we're saying is like an important piece of what makes the church the church, what makes us us, and it's this. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to be my Savior 
and I profess, that means to like um, say out loud, that means to like claim uh, my commitment to his lordship, that means to Jesus being the one that we follow, he's our teacher, he's our rabbi, he's our savior, uh, over my life. So that is commitment number one, and that's what I'm going to be unpacking today. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into our story. Jesus, thank you for um, coming to earth to show us the way, to show us a much better way uh, than has ever been seen on planet earth, um, and not only to show us how to live and teach us a good way, but also to come and go to the cross for all of the evil and brokenness in this world, um, something that still blows my mind, that one person sent to be God with skin on could come to pay for the sins of the world, but not just that you died, because anybody can die, but that you rose from the dead, a foreshadowing of what we have when we rest in you and we trust in you and we live in you, that we can live as a resurrected people. I pray that this talk today, uh, for some, will maybe be the moment when they choose to believe this good news. For others, it will be a moment to reaffirm and strengthen that. And for others that are just curious, that they might take one step towards you, even if it's in the middle of the night, even if it's in the dark. So as we step in here, Lord, I pray that your presence will be here and you'll speak through me to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 3 says this, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, you know, excuse me, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. That's a big claim for him to make, because not everybody believed that, but he's saying, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he's like asking a question without asking a question. He's just making a statement towards Jesus. This story is about two people, Jesus, of course, and a guy named Nicodemus uh, that was coming out at night to meet with Jesus. So let me answer two questions real quick uh, that will help us read this story well. So... Who is Nicodemus? And we will just call him Nick for short, because it's one syllable instead of three. Uh, and why is he meeting Jesus at night? So, who is Nicodemus? Who is this guy? Um, you might remember, uh, if you've been around, you, you hear this, uh, that in biblical times, uh, names meant much more than they do today. Um, they, they carried more significance to the identity of a person, and sometimes uh, sadly or sometimes greatly, uh, much more than, than we do today. If we, if we give our kids a name that means something, uh, we might do so today just because it's fun or means something to us. But to them, it was very, very significant what their name was. Um, so you, Nick is a decent name. Uh, Nicodemus is a decent name. But the, back then, the meaning was very important. So what does it mean? Uh, Nick's name, Nicodemus's name, is actually two Greek words that are smashed together. I'll show you those on the screen. Uh, Nikos, which means victory. I think that's also where Nike comes from. Um, and Demos, which is a mass of people. So Nico plus Demos equals Nicodemus, which is the victory of the people. That's what his name means. That's his identity, right? He's one that helps with the victory of the people. So Nicodemus represented the victory of, of God's people to God's people, 
which would be fitting to the people of his day who knew him. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, uh, a religious leader. He was a pastor and a teacher uh, of their Bible in that day. He was the answer man. He's the one that people would go to during the day to find their answers for God. They'd come to him with a question, and he would answer from the Torah. Um, So he was that answer man. And here he is asking Jesus a question. But he was also an important... Uh, in an important leadership position. So um, it says that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which was a court of 71 leaders called the Sanhedrin. So he is on the A-list of the highest leadership in this country of people uh, who is all following after uh, Yahweh. Um, He is at the top of the leadership chain to them. Uh, and, And that Sanhedrin, the group that he was a part of, They were a legislative body that interpreted the law. Um, They made rules for Israel. They had control over appointing the leaders that would come after them, uh, including the high priest. They were the judge and jury in religious matters. They oversaw the festivals. They were just important people. And he was one of that short list, probably about the size of this group, group right here. He was on that list of all the millions of people in that country. So he was sort of like a U.S. senator. It was a small group that had considerable power. So Nicodemus was likely very wealthy. He had a lot of power, and he was one of the people responsible to give God's people the answers. So that's a little bit about who Nicodemus is. So why was he coming to Jesus alone at night? It's actually because of, it's actually because of who Nicodemus was. He had began his exploration of Jesus in private. Now, Jesus uh, was this new teacher um, that challenged the religious authorities of his day, even the Pharisees, which Nicodemus would have been one. The highest religious authority being the Sanhedrin, which Nicodemus was also on. So this is is the group that would eventually uh, work to have Jesus killed. So Nick's powerful co-workers did not like Jesus. So Nicodemus had a lot to lose by showing any interest in who Jesus was. So he took his curiosities, his questions about who Jesus is to the night. It began as a private search alone. A wondering in his mind and in his heart and his spirit about who Jesus was. A curiosity about if if what Jesus taught was true. Can you relate to that at all? That it begins as just something in your mind or a question that you have. And he met Jesus at night because he was too afraid. I mean, right, I guess, understandably so, about the consequences of the people around him and what they might think of his interest in conversation and who Jesus was. Can you relate to that? You have questions about God, but you're too afraid to ask them. Maybe you feel like you have a lot to lose if you even hint at being interested in Jesus and finding out more about who God is. I take a lot of hope in this story. We've only read two verses, but in that Jesus said yes to meeting Nicodemus at night. Jesus was busy during the day, too. He didn't shame Nicodemus and say that he needed to 
man up and meet with him in the middle of the day if he wants to know more. But Jesus was willing to meet Nicodemus right where he was in the middle of the night. Not so that Nicodemus could stay in the dark, but so that Jesus could lovingly walk him into the light. And I actually believe that Jesus is still meeting people in dark places, including wherever you might find yourself today. That's why we sang that song, Come As You Are. If you find your life in a dark place, if you're asking questions that you're afraid to say, Jesus will meet you there, even in that dark place in the night. But let's see Jesus' response to his question, or to his implied question. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Some of you have probably heard that phrase, like born again Christian, born again, right? Uh, How can someone be born if they are old, Nicodemus asked. Fair question. Surely they cannot enter into their mother's womb to be born. Now let me pause for some comedy. Uh, I'll pretend like I'm Nicodemus just for fun. Now, Jesus, I've been in my mother's womb once before. It was when I was really young, and the size of it was probably didn't exceed maybe this. No, not that big. Goodness, maybe that big by that big. I've been in my mother's womb before, but I was very young. And since I was born, I've grown considerably. I'd say I'm at least three to four times the size I was before I exited my mother's womb the first time. Perhaps even more, I'd have to say... Uh, I'd have to see it again to know the proper scale comparison, but now I much prefer not to see my mother's womb again. But all personal feelings aside, I think that the biggest issue that I might face is being born again is that I simply don't know if I would fit in there anymore. Can you please help clarify this difficult proposition that you have laid before me? That's how I read that section. (laughs) Just me? To which Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. I guess it's back to the womb then, Nick. Um, You should not be surprised, verse 7, at me, my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. I have observed many people in my life as a pastor who have come alive to Jesus in their life, have come alive to the Spirit's work. And in it, the, the weird thing is it's always surprising to me because you'd think you could predict what's going to help somebody become aware of the reality of God. It's a big car accident, or it's a major crisis, or it's the beauty in the world, but it's, it's always surprising. It's like the wind that blows where it may. I think that's probably because people are oftentimes starting out by seeking God in the dark, and I don't know where that dark place is. Only God does, right? So Nicodemus is understandably uh, challenged by the idea that Jesus is presenting here, and I think most of us would be too. But Jesus is pointing to something different, my little comedy sketch aside. Um, And I suppose it is a sort of rebirth from a certain sort of womb. And it's not your mom's. Verse 10. 
You are Israel's teacher, Jesus says, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? That's so interesting. He's like, I've been talking in parables. I've been talking in ways that like make sense of spiritual stuff down here. It's like a seed. It's like uh, water. It's like bread. It's like all that stuff. But you guys like didn't believe me then, so how can I tell you how things really are? I'm bringing it down to your level. <laughs> Verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It feels like a random assortment of phrases. And kind of frustrating if, if, you're, if you're like picturing yourself as Nicodemus in the story. Jesus is answering with this coded language that's like, to him, feels so obvious. Like, don't you know that people need to But Jesus is pointing to something different here that I think we all inherently know. And I suppose that it is a sort of rebirth from a certain sort of womb, a certain sort of containment. Maybe even after we're born, we're still in a sort of womb, a kind of container that limits our understanding of what we can see and understand about reality. Maybe life is something more like a fishbowl that we're born into. Maybe our lives are a bit more like Darwin's than we think. Maybe in order to understand what is beyond our fishbowl and the limitations of our questions and the answers to them and the experience that we have, maybe someone from the outside of the fishbowl had to enter into it to explain what is really real beyond it. Obviously, when someone enters the fishbowl, if we're switched to that analogy, to explain what life is like outside of it, a lot of what they might have to say might sound crazy to us. A baby in a womb has no idea what's really happening outside of it. A fish in a bowl has no idea what real life really is outside of it. All it knows is water and the edges of that bowl. But we were once babies inside of the actual woman. At that time, we had no concept of anything outside of it. And in that case, it's not just because someone came into the womb, but that someone helped us to be born out of it. In most cases, that person's called the doctor. I guess what Jesus is saying makes a little bit more sense now. Experiencing what's outside of the physical fishbowl and into the reality of the spiritual life requires a guide. Jesus used a quick Old Testament reference in what I just read a moment ago to make a point. In the book of Numbers, there's a story about the Israelites' uh, camp being struck with a plague of poisonous snakes. And at that time, God instructed Moses to raise up a snake on a uh, pole that he had. And everyone who looked to it was saved from that snake. So 
Jesus says that's where our understanding of the kingdom will begin too. Not by looking at a snake on a pole, but by looking at Jesus on a cross. That in order to know what ultimate reality is, in order to know what God is like, God had to enter into the fishbowl with us. And that's precisely what Jesus claims that he did. He entered our reality. But what might be a way to describe why someone from outside of the fishbowl, why God might choose to enter into our fishbowl? Like, why, why, are, why does it even matter? Like, are we even that important? How many billions of people are there in this world, and how many billions of people have existed in this life? Seems like the fishbowl's too insignificant for the God of the universe to care. But what does this Bible, what does this story tell us about why? I think it gives actually a pretty compelling reason. Why does someone from the spirit world need to break into the physical world in order to tell us what reality is? You've heard this verse before. For God so loved the world, that's why, that he gave his one and only Son to enter the fishbowl, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but to have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Jesus entered into our fishbowl. He brought the reality of who God is. The the way he described it is the kingdom of heaven is like these things. He entered into your fishbowl to save you. To save us. And now you have a choice. Are you going to believe the one that claims to have been there? Are you going to let Him shape your view of the world. Because if what he says is true, not only is that very, very, very important that you believe and trust in him for the state of your life after you die, but what Jesus is saying can bring tears and joy to you, can bring hope because of how beautiful it is for your heart today. For how wonderful our world can actually look when people take the king of the universe breaking into our fishbowl and we also break out with shalom to a broken world. It is entirely because God loves you that Jesus came into the fishbowl. God loves you and sent Jesus to rescue us from our sin. It's because the Creator wants you back. And He doesn't just want you back after you die. He wants you back now. He wants you to live as flourishing, wonderful people packed full of hope and love today. He wants to partner with you. With you. 
the fish swimming around in a circle trying to find whatever's down there. He wants to partner with you. He's on a mission that displays the depth of his love for us while still giving people the ability to choose to believe and receive it. We need to have that free will to choose to respond to the love of God. Being a Christian is not just about me and my faith. It, but it does start with an individual, with individuals wrestling with God in the middle of the night. And it does have to be deeply personal. And it's important to remember that God went first. He's already extended his love to you. It's already there. We just have to reach out and say we believe. And when we do, we're filled with indescribable hope. Despite the challenges that we might face. It's a wonderfully good story of an invitation back to God. I want to read the rest of what Jesus said after this as he issues some wise warning from his experience on the other side, outside of the fishbowl. He finishes his interaction with Nicodemus with this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will come into the light for will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light without fear so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Come as you are. Let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe in Jesus? This is the foundational question that not only determines your status and closeness of relationship to God, but also the bottom line unifying belief of this community. If you don't yet believe in Jesus, because we are a community that welcomes all, I do want you to know my invitation to you today is to be curious like Nicodemus, to wrestle with God in the midnight hours, you might find that Jesus is the voice of truth that is listening and waiting for you there from outside who has entered into your fishbowl. That's my prayer for you this week. That God might perplex you with a riddle that leads you into his truth. For those of you who have become ready today to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, I don't want you to have to wait any longer. I don't do this very often intentionally because I don't want to it just feels right to do this every so often in the form that I'm about to do right now. But I don't want you, if you feel like you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to have to wait a moment longer to feel that connection in your soul. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer that will help you realize that.
So I ask everybody to close your eyes now. And you can repeat after me under the whisper of your breath directed towards God. And it's the words that we began this sermon with. If you are choosing to believe in Jesus now, you can say this. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to be my Savior. And I profess my commitment to his lordship over my life. Amen.